so encouraging for Krista and I to be here. So many familiar faces and yeah, thank you for your beautiful singing. It's been a great encouragement. Well, it's a privilege and honor to be here today and would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. You know, at the, uh, at the touch of a screen, the world opens up to us. Its fallenness is presented before our eyes. The arguments, the injustices, the failings of governments and societal ideologies, the perversion, or shall I say, the intentional marring of the image of God, the interests and the wonders of the world that excite the flesh and take one away perhaps from the ill-perceived mundane of life down a rabbit hole, a rabbit hole of filth and away from a pursuit of God and His righteousness. Satan's system that holds sway over those who hate God and even through even though technology has been developed that can, at a swipe of a finger, take us deeper into a more blessed understanding of God, remaining sin presents a strong pull of temptation for the people of God. So often, in the pursuit of happiness, even Christians find themselves with device in hand, filling up the lusts of the flesh, enjoying wasteful hours of mindless scrolling through feeds filled with things that we know will be burned up and forgotten at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Some of us find ourselves regretful, remorseful, and saying to ourselves, why do I bother with this garbage? And in the next moment, right back at it again. Our Bibles gather dust. And theology suffers because the pull. The temptation is so often so strong. Yet, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 15... We are told that Jesus Christ was in every way and in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. We also learn as we go through our Bibles that he was tempted by Israel in 1 Corinthians 10.9. We'll look at that. He was tempted by the Jewish leaders in Matthew 16.1. He was tempted by one of his disciples, Peter, in Matthew 16, 23. And throughout his earthly ministry was continually tempted. Luke 22, 28 and Hebrews 2, 18. But today I'd like to examine the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness with you. As we look at two verses in the first chapter of the book of Mark. In Mark 1, 12 and 13 says this. 
The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Let's pray. Father, two verses recorded for us that at first glance maybe do not seem that they have much for us, but Lord, we know that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we do just pray that as sins are exposed and your glory is put on display, that we would leave from here changed and delighted in our Lord Jesus, readied, equipped to face another week head on, knowing that you are the conqueror, knowing that you are with us. And so, Lord, we seek to please you, to be obedient to you, to work out our salvation with fear and trouble, and to know you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. So two verses that don't go into much detail about the specific temptations, as do the other gospel writers, but really profound when we spend a bit of time meditating on why Jesus was put to the test and what exactly this would demonstrate to us. That we would see our Lord for who he is. That we would see Satan for who he is. And that we would see sinful men for who we are. Notice in verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. Mark informs us that immediately the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. No waiting around. God's plan of redemption has been put into gear at the baptism of Jesus. And now... It's go time. Jesus being driven out into the wilderness is certainly a statement of urgent deployment. Certainly a task of utmost importance to God. But why? There's a comparison though. Jesus is sent out into the wilderness just as God had led Israel out into the wilderness for a time of testing. Israel failed. God would now lead his son into the wilderness for testing. And we want to just take a look at the backdrop. And it's found in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 5. I'm, I'm just going to read that. It says this, The entire commandment that I'm commanding you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember all the way in which the Lord your God has led you into the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you be hungry and fed you with manna which 
you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these forty years. Thus you shall know in your heart that the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. It's amazing that all these commandments and Israel was given all these good things and yet they grumbled and complained and they sinned against God. This task of Jesus's, this test that he would undergo would show him though to be the faithful one. The one who would overcome, the one who would conquer the one who would succeed to fulfill all righteousness but he had to do it relating to mankind in the flesh he was subjected to this trial the temptations of the world the flesh and the devil so that he could fully relate to and identify with his people and lead us into the promised land. Lead us into the kingdom of God. And so we read that God's spirit carries him out into the wilderness to undergo, undergo one of the hardest trials that could ever be thrown at a man. You know, I, Kristen and I quite often watch that show alone. Have any of you seen that? Where people are thrust out into the wilderness for a few days and some of them last a day. <laughs> Others make, them, make, make their way quite a few days. But they've been given provisions. They've been given hunting tools or um, weapons and tools and, and fishing hooks and all sorts of things. Provisions to make themselves shelters. And yet, we see half of them at least go stir crazy in their minds. They can't handle it. The Lord Jesus was tempted, was in the wilderness with nothing, yet made it 40 days. Hungry and thirsty. He was thrust out into the wilderness, our Bible tells us. He was in the wilderness 40 days. Matthew tells us that he fasted 40 days. But what's the significance here of the 40 days? The significance around Jesus being in the wilderness 40 days is that number 40 is synonymous with many other accounts in the Bible where the theme is that of testing or judgment. That number 40 in the Bible, that, that theme is always testing or judgment. And that's what we find here. Not a secret hidden meaning, but rather a number that is used throughout Scripture to highlight a theme and give us means by which we can look at other significant events in the history of the biblical record and find these truths or comparisons 
to bring out the more pregnant meaning of the text. And so we can compare this, 40 days of Jesus being in the wilderness, with the 40 years that Israel spent in the desert. In 1 Corinthians 10, if you want to turn with me there, 1 Corinthians 10, I want to read to you verses 1 through 14. Paul writes this, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. You know, I think, honestly, they could have been in the wilderness 40 days had they obeyed. But around and around the mountain they went, 40 years in the desert, continuing to grumble, complain, die. Grumble, complain, and die. As we read just here in 1 Corinthians the rock was Christ. He followed them. They drank the water that was provided for them. They ate the food that was provided for them. It wasn't good enough. They were tempted to grumble and complain. And they failed the test over and over and over. So Christ comes on the scene. Our very king comes down from heaven, takes on flesh, and then is tempted, just as we are. He had nothing to eat. He fasted for 40 days. Yet he trusted God. He fully put his trust in God his Father, to keep him and was never a 
accused of sin, for he did not sin. God provided for all the needs of Israel and more, and yet they sinned. Jesus went without and never did sin. God showed them the promised land full of milk and honey. And yet, if you remember the report that came back, the cowardly report that turned the hearts of the people away from trusting God once again. When we compare the wilderness that Jesus was drove out into and the wilderness that Israel was driven out into and see the provision and see the lack of provision, it should elevate Christ in our minds and in our hearts. Another example is when we look back at the garden at Adam and Eve. They, Adam and Eve, were put into a perfect place. Remember what God created? He said, it is good. He looked at all he had created and said, it is good. And then he gives out one command, not to eat from the tree of good and evil. One simple command. All the provision was there. The beauty, everything was there. Adam and Eve fell. Adam and Eve being put in a perfect place with all the food they could eat. Healthy and encouraging work to do. An unspoiled animal world to live in. No death, no bloodshed, no violence, no killing. Just a beautiful garden to look after and one command to keep. But the pride of the eyes. Remember this verse? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of this world. The lust of the eyes is everything that appeals to the eyes' insatiable demands. And we see in Genesis 3, 6, that Eve looked at the fruit and it looked wonderful to eat. She took and ate it, gave it to her husband, and he ate too. There's another example of this lust of the eyes in the Bible. Well, there's many, but Joshua 7.21 tells us that Achan succumbed to this type of sin when he coveted what was prohibited. Do you remember that story? In Joshua 7, starting in verse 21, he confesses to Israel, he says, I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle, mantle from Shinar and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight. Then I coveted them and took them and behold, they're concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. And we know what happened to Achan and his family. They were brought before the judges in Israel and condemned Stoned to death. Not only Achan, but his whole family. His wife, his children, his animals, his possessions. Everything and covered with a heap of stones. That heap of stones standing there as an example to the rest of Israel. That disobeying God would result in death. We know that he lost everything. 
The devil tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness by the lust of the eyes when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, our text tells us. When we think about Jesus being tempted by Satan and we compare that to the first Adam in the garden, we think of these things. I I have some points here that I want to write down about the first Adam compared to the second Adam. The first Adam, he came from earth. He was tempted and he sinned. The second Adam, he came from heaven, was tempted and overcame sin. The first Adam, he was disobedient to the law. The second Adam, obedient to the law. The first Adam, he defaced the image of God. And the second Adam, restored the image of God. Through the first Adam, sin was imputed to mankind. Through the second Adam, righteousness is imputed to his people. The first Adam brought the curse and condemnation of God on man. The second Adam brought the blessing and righteousness of God on man. The first Adam brought death to mankind. The second Adam, our Lord Jesus Christ... Brought eternal life to his people. The first Adam failed miserably. The second Adam overcame, conquered, and is victorious. The second thing I want to know is about Satan and his character. Satan, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees, demanded signs to be done of Jesus. To try to make him sin. They were like their father the devil. Jesus even pointed that out. Demanding signs and wonders be done of Jesus. Remember in the desert. He said to Jesus. Just make this stone become bread. And you can have food. You can eat. The Sadducees and Pharisees. Just like the devil. Tempted Jesus. Matthew 16, 1 through 4, the Bible tells us this. And the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, when it is evening, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today for the sky is red and threatening. Do you not know how to discern? Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky? But cannot discern the signs of the times. An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign. And a sign will not be given it. Except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. They had put the Lord God to the test. And had demanded signs. When they already had the signs they needed. That he indeed was the Messiah. He was healing the sick, raising the dead. Remember in the funeral procession? And he reached out and he touched that young boy that was 
There was dad going by and he rose up. They knew, or they should have known, that he was God in the flesh, that he was the Messiah. And yet they're putting him to the test, just like their father the devil had done. They were blinded by their pride. Just as Satan's sin against God and the, and the pride had blinded his eyes. So full of pride that Satan would think that Jesus Christ would bow down and worship him. So blinded by this pride that the Pharisees would actually test Jesus to see if he would do parlor tricks for them. So blinded by his pride, Satan shows Christ all these worldly kingdoms and says, they can all be yours if you just bow down to me. Satan was one of the ministering angels in the beginning. He had seen God face to face. And yet, because of his blinding pride, would actually think that the creator God, who has always existed, would bow down and worship him. That Satan could actually usurp the office and role of creator God. So, like worms we are, when we think that we too can demand things of God. That we can tempt Him to do parlor tricks. We, my brothers and sisters, need a new infilling of humility. We need to see how Jesus overcome in the desert so that we too might humble ourselves before our Father in heaven just as Jesus did and know that without the help of God, without the help of the Holy Spirit, we too deserve the curse of God to remain on us. We need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done. We need to understand and be reminded of what Jesus has done for us in suffering in the wilderness. That he was tempted beyond our ability to keep. And see him for who he is. That now that we are in Christ, that we have been filled by the Holy Spirit, that we have the helper with us. And when tempted... We too can overcome when we simply rely on God. Let's go on here. And he was with the wild animals. I want to stop there. Kind of a strange thing for him to say. Just a, just a passing comment. And he was with the wild animals. Mark's initial readers would know the dangers lurking in the desert where Jesus was placed alone. Think of, I, I think of uh, my first pastor, Bob Ratzliff. 
he would tell us stories about being missionary's son over in Africa. And the hyenas. How absolutely vicious they were. They didn't care who was there. They just wanted to eat. They would rip and tear you apart if they could get a hold of you. And he was just terrified of these hyenas. He was always out there with his friends hunting hyenas. And scared of the day that their old broken down jeep would actually break down. And they would run out of ammo because those hyenas would keep coming. And he'd have nightmares of those things. In the wilderness with these wild animals. So Mark's readers would know the dangers of the wilderness that Jesus was put into. And yet, Jesus wasn't harmed. Not one hyena attacked him. Not one wild lion would look to kill him. Not one serpent would bite him. I think Mark's brief mention that Jesus was with the wild animals presents to us two profound truths about Jesus. They do not bother Jesus even though they were violent due to the fall. Because he is their creator. He is their creator. And I believe it's also a now not yet fulfillment of his glorious reign. And a picture of what the new heavens and new earth will bring upon the earth. A reversal of the curse of sin and death in the world. No more fear of man in animals. Just like back to the garden. Adam and Eve were placed there. And remember God would bring all the animals to him. And he named them all. But after the curse. Animals went wild. And there was death in the world. Look with me at Isaiah 11. 6-9. Isaiah prophesies at a time. When this will be the truth. He says and the wolf. Will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion and the fat, fatling together. And a young boy will lead them. Also the cow and the bear will graze. Their young will lie down together. And the lion will eat straw like the ox. And the nursing baby will play by the hole of the cobra. And the weaned child would, will put his hand on the viper's den. They will do no evil nor act corruptly in all my holy mountain. For the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I think this was a picture of what is going to happen. When the new heavens and the new earth present themselves. When God makes everything new. The animals, there will be no fear of man. The opposite of Israel, of course, in Numbers 21, 6 through 9, which was read to us that the Lord sent these fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many of Israel died. They had sinned and God used the wild animals to come and kill them. And finally, we see in our text today the angels. Or ministering to him. In Matthew 4.11 we read, we read. that Then the devil left him. And behold angels came. And began to minister to him. 
the devil left him. Mark doesn't mention that. He just says the angels were ministering to him. But we know that the devil had left him. And these ministering angels came to him and they were ministering to Jesus. What can we learn from that? Well, James 4, 7 tells us, Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And the angels ministering to him would have been, the angels came, and they were worshiping him. They were strengthening him. They were serving him. Another example of angels fulfilling this role was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was battling a temptation. Luke 22, 40 through 43. Now when he arrived at that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and began to pray, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. They were worshiping Christ. He had succeeded in the wilderness. He is worthy of their worship and our worship. He is the overcomer. He is the one we look to. Brothers and sisters, I don't want you going away thinking that this passage is really about Satan. How clever he is regarding deception or even that we would draw out that he is anything other than a side note. He isn't really even worth the glance. But this is about our Lord Jesus. That he overcame temptation. Ultimately, he did just that to glorify the Father and to show himself as our high priest. That he would experience in the flesh intimately what you in your suffering and temptation are going through. In Hebrews 2, 14 and 18 it says, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the seed of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to help those who are tempted. When you are tempted, dear sister, when you are tempted, dear brother, let this word sink in. We do not have an elder brother who sits in the heaven that does not know what you're going through. But one who you can run to for shelter. One we can go to for comfort. 
and be cleansed once again. He relates to us. He's been 100% faithful and credits his faithfulness to your account as he intercedes for you. And my question for you is, do you believe that? Do you believe on him? Do you believe in his faithfulness and in his loving kindness to cleanse you from all sin? When you fall into temptation and you trip up again and fall on your face, do you run and hide like Adam and Eve did in the garden? Or do you get up and run to him? I want to encourage you with Zechariah chapter 3. Zechariah chapter 3, so encouraging. The word says this. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua, Joshua was standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Did you hear that? It's the Lord. When you're standing in the presence of the Lord and Satan is accusing, the Lord says, put clean clothes on. That's my daughter right there. Put clean clothes on her. That's my son right there. Put clean clothes on him. We can learn, brothers and sisters, from the failings of Israel, from the failing of the first Adam, from the failings of sin and unbelief. Let's continue to look to Jesus and resist the devil, knowing that he will flee. He is a coward. And focus upon glorifying God because of all he did for us. Let's throw our complete trust in God's sovereignty, in God's loving kindness. If you're like me, there are plenty of failings. But let this be a reminder to us all that there is victory in Jesus. There is a way to overcome and it's through Jesus only through Jesus he alone overcame sin and temptation let's look to Jesus
So today, if you fail, know that you're standing in the presence of the Lord, the overcomer. And maybe even like Joshua the priest, you're standing before the Lord with Satan accusing you. And hear Jesus say, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. And to his holy angels, clothe them with clean clothes. Let's pray again. Lord Jesus, thank you for your 40 days in the wilderness, for overcoming temptation, for resisting the devil and having him flee, for the fact that you have overcame and you lived a life that's worthy of our worship, and then voluntarily taking our sin to yourself. As we look upon the cross, we see, like Israel did, that bronze serpent in the desert. And we can know too that we will not be bitten, but rather, Lord, our protector, you will keep us and you will put us through trials, sure, but that you will bring us through into the promised land. Help us that we wouldn't grumble against you, but rather put our full trust and confidence in the fact that you love us and that you will bring this work that you've started in us to completion one day. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for dying for us, for taking the punishment on our sin that we, we deserve, for burying it with you in the tomb, raising victorious from the grave. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, I just pray for anyone here who is going through a trial of temptation and has even sinned against you, that they would, again, renew themselves in your strength. That they would run to you, confess, and be washed and cleansed, as 1 John 1 tells us. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray for your people now. Amen. Oh, my God.